inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And we are definitely speaking with a remarkable working woman today, my friend, Dr. Elisa Krill. Elisa, welcome. Thank you, Katie. I can tell you're laughing in your voice. <laughs> but, you know, uh, it's October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I thought it would be terrific to talk with you about a subject that can be very scary for women, breast cancer. And, you know, as we've talked about before, breast cancer for many people is one of those things, unless they've had it or they know someone who's had it, it is a very scary thing, always sort of looming out there and you don't really know. So I'm hoping that you can demystify certain aspects of breast cancer for us a little bit, but. And then I'd like to just, because you're also an incredibly successful working woman, I'd like to talk with you about your life from that perspective. But could we start by just talking a little bit about your practice and your specialty? Sure. So um, I'm a medical oncologist. Um, I take care of predominantly patients with breast cancer. Um, I work at the University of Miami. And again, my practice is uh, nearly 100% breast cancer patients. Um, I've been in practice for uh, a little over 25 years. That sounds extremely scary when I say that, um, but uh, so uh, um, I've, I've seen a lot of changes in the field over that amount of time. So let's try to demystify a little bit breast cancer. So is it true that one out of four women get breast cancer in their lifetime? It's actually one out of eight. So about 12% of women will get breast cancer in their lifetime. Although that sounds like a scary number, a lot of these breast cancers are actually um, defined as pre-cancers. So um, we find them before they're what we call invasive. So basically, if you take care of them locally in the breast, they have no chance of spreading anywhere else. So that's a pre-invasive breast cancer. And quite a few of that one in eight is, are these pre-cancers. Um, and uh, the other cancers are invasive cancer, but over the years, prognosis has gotten much, much, much better. And in fact, our treatments have even gotten more tailored and less toxic for people. That's comforting to know. So in terms of these precancers that you can catch early, is the best way to do that a mammogram? Absolutely, a mammogram. Um, so we use mammogram and in women who are higher risk, we might use ultrasound or MRI even to detect them, but there's really nothing to replace a mammogram. So some of the earliest signs of breast cancer are calcifications in the breast. Uh, and you do not see that on ultrasound. You do not see that on MRI. So I know there's a lot of women who are concerned about the radiation risk um, and may want thermograms and may want to avoid mammograms. But in fact, if you don't get a mammogram, you're not using our best tool for detecting the very earliest signs of cancer. And the radiation you get with a mammogram is really quite small, uh, probably akin to what you'd get on going on an airplane. So if you do get diagnosed with breast cancer, what are some of the first things you need to think about? So I think the first thing is, is not to panic. Again, most breast cancers are, are curable. We cure the vast majority of patients. Um, the treatments as well have gotten less toxic. I think the most important thing 
is to, to seek out and build a good team around you. So I think it's very important to seek out um, a surgeon who, who hopefully specializes in breast cancer or sees a lot of breast cancer. I think that's the most important thing. And don't be afraid to have a second opinion. If you go to somebody and you're very comfortable with that person and they do a lot of breast cancer, you don't necessarily have to have a second opinion. But I think if you have any doubts, it's, it's worth having a second opinion. Um, and then I think most patients should see a medical oncologist as well. And it doesn't hurt to see a medical oncologist from the beginning to get a better perspective. And again, you'd want to see a medical oncologist who does a lot of breast cancer. Um, there are many uh, general oncologists who are excellent in breast cancer uh, if they see enough of it. But I think you want to have somebody who has a very good familiarity with breast cancer and keeps up on all the data. And, and again, once you've built your team and you're comfortable with your team, I think you can feel very confident going forward that you're getting the best advice and the best treatment. That's excellent to hear. And in terms of advice, so for working women, this can be an especially stressful thing to juggle, handle your work, at the same time deal with your treatment. I mean, add on to the pandemic and you might still be, you know, watching your kids at home, but even so, you know, times are so stressful, but there also might be the added stress of being afraid to tell your employer or tell the people that you work with because you'd be afraid to be treated in a different light or passed over for promotion or, you know, out of the running for something that you might want to do. Do you talk about these kind of things with your patients and do you have any advice? Uh, we do talk about it. Um, I think a lot of women assume that they will have to miss a lot of work. Um, and that's not always the case. I actually talk with a lot of my patients who have breast cancer about uh, continuing to work if, as long as they can have some flexibility in terms of um, if they need chemotherapy, being able to take off a day or two for chemotherapy or if they have their side effects from it. But most people actually feel well enough to continue to work in some role. For some people, it's better to take off. And for some people, um, it's better to work and keep their mind on something and, and keep busy. Um, as long as they have um, support from, from their, their uh, workplace. And that, that is hard. I mean, um, there's people who start new jobs, people have very stressful jobs and they, they may not get the support they need. But I think there's, unfortunately their health comes first. And um, some people are very surprised at the support they get when they, um, when they tell their employer or their coworkers, uh, you can get a lot of support. Um, I hate to say it, but if you're not getting that kind of support, maybe it is time to reassess, you know, where you want to work or, or what you want to do because this this is part of life, and um, and people have to, you know, be able to to trust uh, their workplace to help them when when they need help. So, you know, we do talk about it, and I think most women successfully navigate this. I've, I've seen very, very few cases over the years where women have lost their jobs because they took time off uh, to be treated. And for the most part, they're, you know, very pleased by the support they get. And again, the federal government has um, helped with this, with the um, Family Medical Leave Act, where people are 
entitled to 12 weeks of unpaid leave to take care of medical illnesses. You raise an interesting point also, which is if you have an employer that's not going to be supportive, that's one of the things to think about if long-term you want to work at that company. And I think now is the time more than ever, you know, where people are really thinking to themselves, I spend so much time working. Am I working the kind of job I want to work? Am I working with the kind of people I want to work with? Um, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. You know, as you know, I've, I changed jobs in the last few years and um, I think the most important thing at any job is do you feel appreciated for what you do? Um, and I think that goes a long way to making anything hard at the job or hours at the job um, worthwhile. So, you know, if, if your employer is not appreciating you to enough to let you get treated for a cancer uh, without uh, worrying, putting excess worry on you, it is maybe time to reassess. Well, let, let's talk about your, your job and your career now. I mean, you hate when I tell this story, but I once went to a dinner years ago with you in your honor about, I won't say anymore, except to say, because I know you don't like it, that you were being celebrated by so many women for saving their lives, Elisa. I mean, you're the most humble person I know, and also the most level-headed, I think, which is probably very good in your profession. But how has it been for you? Or, you, you know, you have a big career that's very stressful because thank goodness so many people make it, but not everybody does. And you balance that with a long-term marriage and, you know, raising two sons. How has it been trying to do all these things and be there for your patients and your family? Well, I think that, you know, it, it, when children are young, it's, it's, it's more of a balancing act because you're, you're, you are needed at more at home and there's stress in, um, in having a long work day. Um, and trying to get home for your family. So I think the time stress was, was always the hardest part for me. But I always felt, again, that I was doing something that people really appreciated at my job and that um, I was helping people. So my time at my job, whereas it can be stressful, was always really gratifying. And, and again, I think that really is is the most important thing at any job is that you feel that you're being rewarded. I mean, not necessarily monetarily, but you know, with with appreciation, um, with a sense of pride that you're doing something worthwhile. And I think I think you know most people who are successful in their careers find that in their job that they they get a great sense of satisfaction from it. And I think that's what's always made this this doable for me is that um, is that I really feel that I'm I'm making a difference when I go to work, um, and then you know that I come home and and I'm making a difference at home too, although that tends to be a little more chaotic. Well, between I mean, because <laughs> you live in an all male household, even now that your sons are grown or almost grown, even the dog um, is male. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we've been talking a lot about stress, and stress during this time has been through the roof for so many people. And this, you know, we're speaking mostly to working women. Are there some things that you're doing to try to stay sane and somewhat relaxed during this time? 
You mean besides Netflix? <laughs> and reading, you're a voracious reader. Yeah, you know, I think keeping to my regular routine as much as possible. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I think when we were very, very uncertain as to how COVID was spreading, um, there was a lot of panic and a lot of fear. And um, we, we worked from home, which as a physician, I actually found more stressful than being in the office. Um, and after several weeks of doing 100% telehealth, we went back in the office and got into the routine of getting up and getting dressed and, and driving to work and seeing people and interacting in person with patients. And I, I think just that routine has been um, extremely helpful in, in coping with the changes and stress from COVID. Um, I, I'm not the type of person that thrived doing this alone in my dining room. Um, and so, so that really, really helped me. So I want to go back and just ask you one more question that I wanted to ask about breast cancer specifically, which is, are there things women can do to prevent it? You know what? There absolutely are. Um, so, you know, there's some things you can't change. You can't change your family history. You really can't change, you know, uh, when you had your first child, but there's, there's definitely lifestyle things that you can do to prevent breast cancer. We know that, um, uh, exercise, a diet high in fruits and vegetables, maintaining your weight, all those things do decrease your risk for breast cancer. Um, if you have a high risk for breast cancer, either a biopsy from the breast that, that um, leads your doctor to tell you that you're at higher risk or a family history, there are actually medications that we can use to decrease the risk of breast cancer and relatively non-toxic medications. I mean, one is a drug that we actually use for, for, for bone density, for osteoporosis. So there's a lot of things that, that we can do. And I think, you know, the medication piece has been uh, not well publicized. Um, I recently met a woman who has a genetic mutation, which increases her risk for breast cancer. And she had never been told that she could go on a medication to lower her risk. And these medicines lower your risk by 50%. So again, I mean, I think lifestyle, um, if you're at very high risk, a medication, um, people at extremely high risk, like people who have a BRCA1 or 2 mutation, will often consider prophylactic surgery to prevent breast cancer, but that's the minority of patients. Um, and then, of course, good screening to pick up breast cancers in the very earliest stage or even as a precancer. So is that a mammogram once a year? So a mammogram once a year is the standard of care for every woman. Mm -hmm. Somebody who is at higher risk, we might consider adding an ultrasound to that, or we might consider an MRI as well once a year, or even a mammogram with contrast, which is something we do at University of Miami, which is um, a, a little less cumbersome than an MRI. Well, this has all been really helpful, but before we go, I would just love to ask you one final question that I ask every guest at the end of the interview, which is, is there one piece of advice that has helped guide you through your life and your career that you can share with us? Yes, um, it's, it's sort of two pieces of advice. Um, and it's taken me a while to, to figure these out for myself and, and be able to um, 
put them into practice in my daily life. I, I think the first one is, is don't stress the small stuff. When I often have patients who are diagnosed with cancer, you know, some people who, uh, who are diagnosed with cancer actually say it was a good thing for them because it made them put their life in perspective. You know, is this what I want to do for a living? Do I want to be able, do I want to work this hard? And allowed them to, again, uh, put in perspective, what do I worry about? And, and the small stuff isn't what you want to worry about. It's taken me a long time to get there and I'm certainly not perfect at it, but I think that's the most important thing. And the other thing that I've learned from my patients and I'm trying to put in practice in my life is, is not to delay things that you want. I mean, again, nobody, you know, nobody died wishing they worked more. Um, you know, see your friends and family, take those trips you want to do along with the work. Don't, don't put it off. We, none of us know we have, you know, years and years ahead of us. So those are the two things. And, and again, it's, it's a struggle. And as you get into stress on a day-to-day -day basis, it's easy to sweat the small stuff. Um, but you, I just remind myself that this, this isn't the hill I want to die on. You know, it's not worth worrying about this. Don't sweat the small stuff. Elisa, it was terrific to speak with you. And I, we really appreciate your time. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Katie. Thank you.